Hello, and welcome to the Stoutman Podcast. I am Colton Guffey, and here with me is Matt Huff. How are you, Matt? Hello, hello. I'm doing well, Colt. How are you doing? I'm doing well as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just it feels good just to just to be doing this with you, to be honest. It does. Um, I'm excited. Uh, this is our inaugural episode. Um, I hope I said that correctly. It. Um, uh, I wish. I wish we thought of a little bit more fanfare. You know, I, I could have. <laughs> we could have queued to a kazoo or something. Yeah, I was thinking more of hiring a mariachi band. Because <laughs> nothing yeah. says first episode of a podcast like a mariachi band. For That's sure, a natural choice. It is. It is. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I like, I like going to restaurants and and hearing them, but that's not what we're talking about today. No, today we are talking about why we're even making a podcast. And for anyone out there listening, you may be wondering why should you continue to listen to this podcast? And this isn't us trying to sell it per se. It's more of just explaining why we think this is something that is needed. Um, so first off, I think uh, the very, I guess the first question that we should answer is why Stoutman? So why Stoutman? Well, let me give you the definition of Stout first, because I think we all know the definition of men. Actually, I think that needs to be clarified a little bit as well. Although, I was about to say, not, I don't know if we, I don't know if we live in a in an era where that can be assumed any longer. Very true, but you and I both are male, and a lot of the things that we will be talking about, a lot of the subjects will, I'd say, maybe lean a little bit more towards the masculine side. But a Stoutman, I don't see men as necessarily being male. I think men can be seen as humanity as a whole. When you learn... Man, mankind, yeah. Exactly. When Whenever you learn the ancient languages, um, usually you see that man and mankind can both come from the same word. You know? And so as we start this podcast, this is not just for men only, although a lot of it will be slanted that way. It is for mankind in general, because we'll be speaking about a lot of general truths, uh, truths that most everyone can partake in, which is the subtitle, I guess, you know, a podcast for partakers, which we'll get to that a little later on. Um, but it's filled with truth that we believe comes inherently in nature from the creator himself. So uh, we will be looking at truth that comes from scripture and just knowing that everything that we discuss um, is all geared towards the, or all comes from the understanding uh, that Christ is the basis of all truth. And so Amen. when it comes to that, um, you know, that includes everyone, not just males. So let me give you just 
the definitions here of what a stoutman is, and then Matt, I'll let you kind of add to it because I know you um, you have thought a lot about this as well. So, well, I'll give you a little bit of history. So several years ago, I was wanting to get together a group of guys, uh, and it was a an online discussion group um, where we could discuss like-minded things, but they were the deeper things in life, the more intellectual or philosophical or ethical, basically a group of guys that could talk online about things uh, that mattered in their lives and for us to encourage each other uh, to lead more stout lives. At that time, I hadn't thought of stout yet. And so I was trying to think of a good, catchy name and my wife, who was not my wife at the time, suggested the word stout. And at first I took a bit of an offense to it because I thought she was playing off of me being short and stocky. And I was like, stout, come on. <laughs> and then I thought about it <laughs> a little longer and I was like, you know what? Stout makes sense. And here are some definitions of what stout means. Number one, bold, brave, or dauntless. Next, firm, stubborn, resolute. Stubborn a lot of time has, or times has um, a bad connotation to it, but when you think of stubborn meaning in the sense of conviction, I think it's great. I think stubborn, um, when you believe something and you're going to stick to your guns, I think that's a very good thing. Um, lastly, forceful, vigorous. And then, as a noun, a dark, sweet brew made of roasted malt and having a higher percentage of hops than porter, or a porter of extra strength. <laughs> that's, that's the definition we'll be working with. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we, we are personified uh, beer, <laughs> both of us. Kin to the porter. <laughs> yeah. We, <laughs> we fermented too long, and we have <laughs> sentience. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, this, this idea of the stout life is really, um, where the Stoutman came from. Um, it originally started, the name of the group was the Stout Thinkers Society. And when I, um, pitched the idea to you, you said, well, that name is a bit on the nose. And I was like, okay, well, again, I took slight offense because I'm very sensitive. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but eventually, um, we kind of settled into Stoutman. And I like that because it does have a universal feel to it, but a very pointed feel of what we are trying to accomplish in our own lives um, that we're learning from those in the past, learning from uh humans throughout history, learning from scripture, learning from nature, learning from uh, our friends and fellows around us, that we're all striving to become stout men, um, where we are bold, where we are brave, dauntless, firm, but resolute, um, and also vigorous. You know, we um, if we believe something and if we know something is true, then we want to be forceful um, because it is worth being forceful on. And so, Matt, would you would you have anything that you'd like to add to that? Yeah, well, I, I love all of the definitions and, and how they apply to the way that you've thought about this for the last several years. 
But also, I think this is just something that's been in your heart as long as I've known you. I don't, probably not in a way that you could have just articulated, but I think there's a, a, um, certainly a need for this sort of stoutness that we're talking about. Um, and, and I'll kind of, I'll, I'll, if it's okay, I'd love to articulate how, yeah. you know, my, my mm. own approach to what you've talked about, but I think there's a need for it, but also I, I'm suspicious that there's a, there's a deep ache for it. Um, and not just in young men, you know, what you were saying, stout men is really a, an invitation to all, all mankind. Um, so it's not, it's not a, a masculine project necessarily. It's more of a, of an invitation, I think, um, like what the subtitle says, it's a podcast for partakers. It's an invitation for everybody to uh, dig deep, to um, to drink deeply of the blessings of God, and and you know just to um, to you know how the ancients would have Mount Parnassus and all these you know these great ascents that they would have. They would climb upward to the heavens and up to the muses. I think there's something noble in in that effort. But I also yeah. think there's there's something generally in our culture today that is just dying for depth and substance and richness. I think um, a lot of our current obsession with instant gratification and social media and, and you know instant feedback um, and the the quick you know the the top ten lists and the the quick BuzzFeed surveys and we you know like all these ways of knowing yourself that Socrates would have just thrown up about, <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> this is my, this is my pop Enneagram quiz that will tell me everything that's wrong with my soul. <laughs> yeah. like not oh, I, look, I'm Hermione from Harry that's, Potter. That's what it is. That's what this deep, uh, this deep unabashed ache in my soul is about. I hadn't discovered which Harry Potter character I am <laughs> or why I'm, uh, my soul is magenta. You know, um, <laughs> <laughs> I think I think there's this deep ache for substance and depth in our relationships, in our personal lives, um, but most importantly in our souls. And that you know that kind of ache, you know, Augustine talks about that where the, that kind of ache is only satisfied in God. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Him. And so yeah. I think the calling mankind, men and women, to this stout life, the stout men. Um, you know, it's good news of great joy, which shall be for all men, that there's good news that you and I are living in, that Christ is risen and he's given us all things richly to enjoy. So go enjoy it, <laughs> go do it. So I think this podcast, the way that you've conceptualized it has been a blessing for me to be, you know, on the receiving end of it, of your idea and to be in partnership with you on this podcast for it, because I think every episode would be an occasion to remind whoever's listening, men, women, boys, girls, that, that life is meant to be lived and lived deeply and fully, but worshipfully, you know, that the stout life is, is an, a God glorifying life. It, it yeah. makes God look rich and deep and glorious. Um, yeah, I agree. Um, and I think, so the way that you were just talking about how it's a good reminder for us, um, I recently purchased um, Marcus Aurelius's Meditations. And 
I was looking at the introduction and I was reading it first. And what I found was if you're reading it, um, this is not something that Marcus Aurelius, the Roman emperor, um, uh, wrote for others to read. This was his own personal journal or his own personal notes and, and kind of life notes. And what the, um, introduction writer was saying was that in it, you'll read that Marcus Aurelius, you know, uses the second person singular a lot. He'll say you, 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 and he's not necessarily being didactic, um, or being, um, not didactic, but it's not an imperative to the masses. He's speaking to himself. And so as he's writing these, you know, bits of wisdom or these instructions on how to live life, it's for him to look back on. He's writing to himself saying, do this. It's a good way to remind him about how he should live and what he should do. And for me, that is super important because I find in my own life that there are things that I believe and things that I know, or at least things that I'll claim to believe. And then I'll notice in my day-to-day life that I don't act like I believe them sometimes. Right. It's kind of like that um, idea um, a friend of ours told me once. Um, he said, they say that when you learn a new word, that once you use it three times, it's now yours. Meaning it's actually like lodged itself into your you know, lexicon. So you will hear it more often in your own speech. I find that ideas work the same way, although you're not necessarily going to use them that many times, but just hearing something once, learning something, thinking something sounds really good. If it isn't actually put to practice, or if you don't meditate on it and remind yourself about it, um, there's a chance it may not stick. And so this podcast for us um, is to help us both uh, in our journey as Stoutman as well as to share and to hopefully encourage all of you who are listening as well. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it reminds me just when I was, when I was in, in high school, yeah, I loved English class and I loved to read. And, um, and I remember when I first heard about Henry David Thoreau yeah. and Walden, you know, and, um, the movie Dead Poet Society really popularized the famous passage from Walden where he talks about, uh, he said, I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately. Um, he says to suck out all the marrow of life. And, uh, and I remember as a high school student, I imagine you and I both teach in school. So I imagine there might be yeah. some people listening who are in high school. I, I'm, I remember being struck by that concept of, you know, the carpe diem life, you know, seize the day. Yeah. Um, as, especially as it was articulated by by Thoreau and and some of the romantics, and I remember b- being struck by that, but also wondering, you know, th- there seems to be this impulse that I had, and that I think many do, to live deliberately and to suck out all the marrow of life, and but also this sort of Christian conscientious uh, element that it was like, well you know, we're in the world, but not of it. 
and you know so many things like what you eat and what you drink and and you know how how you speak and what you do and when you do so many of these things could be sinful so there seems to be this caution and this hesitance to live deliberately you know because you don't want to assume a sort of recklessness but you still have this deep urge to live to live well and to live fully and and for me that you know as i grew up and as i grew in the faith it, there was this real grace in, in in what god had done in me to show that living deliberately the way that thoreau was conceptualizing is only possible in christ that you know apart from him we can do nothing and and there are so many people and and we might have you know over the course of the episodes i'm sure we'll be able to talk about people in our lives or people we read who who sort of embodied this you know i think of doug wilson uh who's the the single greatest influence on me um chesterton uh some of these others who who were able to embody a, a sort of christian revelry or a christian um deliberateness to living fully i, I just thought what, what a great opportunity to connect what is sometimes an adolescent desire um you know to live the romantic life of, you know you only live once and you know have this sort of um abandonment that you want to live with but and to connect the virtuous parts of that yes. to their source in in christ and his um, and his joy, you know, taste and see that the Lord is good. There's, there's a beauty to digging deep into what God has given us. Um, but it's only possible in its fullest sense when it is reconnected back to the maker. Yeah. And, um, I think, uh, C.S. Lewis made a comment, um, one time and I was looking for the quote, but I can't for the life of me remember exactly where, it, um, or what book it is from where he talks about some of the i'm paraphrasing terribly sorry but um the best <laughs> moment is just um or some of the best moments are are sitting with other men laughing um uh, yeah. and yeah. drinking and just discussing serious matters um and when i say serious for anyone who knows me knows that a uh, serious is not the first adjective people use to describe me um, usually it's more of a silly goofiness. <laughs> I, I, I fear to know what is the first adjective people use <laughs> when they describe you. <laughs> Depends on the person you talk to. Um, yeah, I don't think any of us want to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stout. Um, but it's the idea of, of, of living life, of enjoying life. And that's one thing that I, I think that a lot of men in, in our our generation, um, we're deeply impacted by John Piper's, I guess, um, revisiting and uh, or yeah, I'm trying to think of a better way because I, I guess renewing Jonathan Edwards' theology in the masses, right, um, to where it was a more popularized thing, where he talks about. Um, that uh, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Um, and so yeah. he changes that, you know, the chief end of man is to, what is it? Um, oh, great. I should have had this. Time. To glorify God. 
and enjoy, and, him, and forever. enjoy him forever. And Piper changes it to glorify God and, uh, by enjoying him forever. Um, so good. Yeah. And so this, this idea of life being something that we, we are to enjoy. And when you look at creation, okay, God didn't create. And then say, okay, Adam, um, here's what I want you to do. I want you to just not focus on anything that I've done, but I want you to just sing these hymns over and over again. And that's all I want you to do. Okay, don't focus on the trees. Don't focus on the animals. Even though I had you name them, that's all I wanted you to do. But God did quite the opposite. He said, I want you to work the field to subdue the land. God created uh, the garden for Adam and Eve to be able to enjoy it gave Adam the task of naming the creatures. And what a beautiful thing that God gives us the creative action. Uh, right. That he gives us the ability to use what he's given us and obviously to use it for his glory. And we see that, uh, that um, Adam and Eve do not use what he's given them to his glory because they disobey him. But the idea of it's here for us and that when we use it properly and enjoy it, it is a good thing. The yeah. world is still good. The things that come out of it are still good. The discoveries that humans have made throughout history are still good discoveries. Now there, there is things that are not good. Um, but we can't shy away from the things that God has given us. And for me, I am um, really a classics and Christian studies teacher at my um, school. Um, a great book that you and I both um, have, have talked about the author, um, Louis, um, oh man, Louis is Marcos, right? Yeah, yeah. Marcos. Um, uh, from Achilles to Christ is one where the subtitle is why Christians should read the pagan classics. And really you can take that idea out of just pagan classics. The idea is that Christianity is not the only truth, but Christianity is the only complete truth. And that's one that you have to make sure you know what he's saying there. But, Right. He goes into the fact that we can find truth, because if all truth is God's truth, then everyone in the common grace that God has given all of creation, they can still look for things and they can still understand things. They just can't understand it fully until Christ is there. So, right. you know, did God have to write in Scripture that trees grow from seeds and they need sunlight and they need water. And they know that's something that God had for us to discover. Right. And we have discovered these things. And so people throughout history, the mathematicians, they figured things out, but the complete truth is found in Christ. And so as Christians, we right. have the absolute blessing and the treasure of being able to see the world and be a part of the world without being of it. And I know that that's not something that I want to sit here and say, oh, I've come up with the best interpretation of that, and that's that we get to see above the world. But in one sense, 
us being of the world, um, or excuse me, being in the world but not of it, means that we see Christ where others do not. We see the beauty of gardening because it's not just for our own um, sustenance, right? It's not just to make money, but it's to enjoy what the Creator has given us. And we see that throughout right. literature. We see that especially throughout um, um, the canon of ideas and literature. And there's just so much that we as human beings, as as man, not God, but man, where our life should be to strive to be as stout as we possibly can because we're seeking after truth. And then we're seeking after the beauty and the goodness that God has given us in creation. Right. Reminds me, I think a lot of this really turns on the, the notion of the incarnation, yeah. you know, where it reminds me, it reminds me of John where he, in the beginning was the logos, the, the word, mm-hmm. the, um, in the beginning was the logos, which is this, you know, overwhelmingly rich and powerful abstract concept. But then John says, and and the logos, everything that the Greeks were pointing toward, the, the ultimate order and word of all things, became flesh. Yep. Where what was what was abstract and and in many ways ungraspable, you know. Yep. Um, came down and and put on flesh and he had a beard and a birthday and fingerprints, you know, that it, it was Doug Wilson talks about turning the soup into a stew, you know, this idea where it got thicker, that the truth got That's good. thicker. Yeah. And I think in Colossians where it says, Paul tells us to put on Christ, there's, there's another level of that thickening, you know, where, um, where Christ is you know christ is god made flesh who dwelt among us um and that we we beheld his glory you know we saw we saw god in something physical we saw god in the face of christ um and you know in his fullness we have received grace upon grace and then we put on Christ. That's another thickening. And, and John, Jesus and John tells his disciples to take heart, you know, to sort of be brave, be, be full hearted, you know, don't be cowardly. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Take, I, I've overcome the world. So I think the incarnation of Christ affords Christians to live in the flesh um, and I, I want to use that phrase carefully because I know every <laughs> there are so many commandments not to live according to the flesh. Yeah. So I'm not meaning I'm not meaning that, but I'm meaning to live as the body of Christ. Yeah. That we that we are pictures of the body of Christ, and that body of Christ was a real, breakable, resurrectable thing. Yeah. And so that means our our everyday living needs to be real and resurrectable. <laughs> I'm coining a new word. Um, <laughs> I, that's, I doubt that's a word, but you get the point I'm making where it's like, if Christians can't live these thin, wispy, uh, you know, in, in, in Dante's Inferno, it's the damned souls who are shades. Yeah. They are, they are these wispy, um, transient sort of substanceless creatures, you know, that have been, that have been damned. It's, it's the, it's the, 
privilege of humans that we get, we bear the image of God in the flesh that we are incarnate well, and, think, um, and we, get to, we get to imitate that in Christ. And the whole resurrection thing. I mean, the crux of, of Christianity is the resurrection of Christ without the resurrection of Christ, without the renewal, without the redemption, without the restoration of the physical body of Christ. Christianity is not true. Okay. Right. And I think the stout life, is very much um, playing off of the idea that everything that Christ came to restore creation, to renew creation, um, to uh, did I already say restore? Because that's the main word. Okay. It, yeah, is, absolutely. Is this idea where you know we we are not Platonists to where we believe or Neoplatonists where we believe that. The material is bad and the spiritual is good. Therefore, our bodies can decay, but our spirit will live forever. Whereas we will all be like Christ. Christ is the firstborn of all creation. Therefore, we will be resurrected like him. Okay. Amen. These are important. And this goes for everything in our lives. Okay. Um, that's why as Christians, the environment is an important thing. How we build society is an important thing. Why? Because we're living in the city of God, even though it is on the earthly city, as Augustine talks about. And so I think the, your whole point about incarnation and resurrection is so important to understanding why the stout life, why life is more than just living in moral, I guess, stress, meaning always trying to do the right thing. Now, I'm saying that as Christians, we should strive to glorify God in everything that we do. Um, but I think sometimes people think that the Bible is just telling people how to live and how not to live. When ultimately, it's not telling us how to be good or bad. It's telling us how to live life and not be dead. So good. So good. So, well, we... Basically, since this is our first podcast, um, we are going to split it up into two parts. The first part is going to be us talking about things such as this and and um, going on about cultural things that are going along. And then the second half, uh, we're going to be discussing something a little bit more um, directed, uh, usually based off of something that we have read um, in preparation and discussing it specifically. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to be discussing The Strenuous Life, which was a speech uh, given by Theodore Roosevelt, um, I believe in 19, what, 09? Is that it? Something like that. It's possible. Sounds yeah. right. <laughs> All right. Well, we will be right back. Thank you. Welcome back. Um, still here with Matt Huff. And today we're going to be discussing and talking about The Strenuous Life, uh, which is a speech given by Theodore Roosevelt. And I told you guys that it was 1909. And let me just double check that because I don't want to lie to you guys. Uh, 1905. So thankfully, um, I was able to fix that. It was a speech you he made. Know... Go ahead. In... Uh, sorry. It was a speech he made in Chicago uh, that was considered by many to be the essence of his political as well as personal philosophy. Go ahead. Okay. Was he was he president yet, or was this before? He I was believe. President? I believe. 
man, why are you going to ask me that? Sorry. Every U.S. history expert is just screaming at us right now. Yeah, they're like, come on. Why are you going to talk about Um Well, now I have to double check because I am terrible on dates, um, both with women and... <laughs> 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 well, I, dude, I totally sprung that on you, so I feel bad. Um, totally fine. Um, uh, this was during his presidency, yes. yes okay. Which well, well, let me ask you that because this was, you know, Colt, you and I sat down to kind of as we were mapping out the the main line of this podcast and and what we wanted to accomplish. I, I had not heard of this speech before. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had heard of this president, but I, but I, I did not. I knew nothing of this speech, and so um, you recently pulled it out to read. Um, yeah. And as we were talking about the show, it came about. I, I'm pretty sure it was your idea, but it came about to open with discussing the strenuous life by Theodore Roosevelt. So mm-hmm. I, I want to ask you to spend a moment for our listeners, why, answering this question, why begin with Theodore Roosevelt? Why him? And then maybe if you want to segue into why this speech, and then maybe we can look at some lines from the speech or something, but why him and why this text? Well, I think Theodore Roosevelt um, has... His life has appealed to me for several years, and I'll give a little bit of credit. Um, well, not a little bit. I'll, I will give credit to um, my friend and fellow um, Stoutman out there, uh, Trevor, who um, several years ago, uh, this was right after college, um, I noticed that he was reading uh, the rise, no wait, yeah, the rise of Theodore Roosevelt, which is the first of the Edmund Morris trilogy, um, or biographical trilogy of Theodore Roosevelt's life. And the more that I learned about Teddy Roosevelt, the more that I just respected him so much. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that he's known as that quintessential man. Okay. Um, I have I have read several articles. I've seen several YouTube videos talking about Theodore Roosevelt, and they're always titled something along the lines of "Why Teddy Roosevelt is manlier than you'll ever be." <laughs> um, and when you read it, you're like, "Man, uh, you're not wrong." He he does have what we in America um, typically think of the quintessential man. Um, he he was a boxer. He was a hunter. Um, he was a lovable man. Like he was very jolly. Like you will see that there are tons of pictures of him out there where he looks super serious, but there are also a ton of pictures of him with this huge smile on his face, yeah. always, always laughing. Um, excuse me, not always laughing, but um, always basically in the moment. So if something was joyful, he was going to going to laugh and he was going to have a good time. But if there was something that needed to be done and there was a serious moment, he was going to absolutely um, handle that. Um, and when you look at his life, 
um, especially before uh, his presidency, demanded so much um, and was one of those leaders like Alexander the Great in the sense that, um, and I'm not comparing them completely, but there's this uh, famous story about Alexander the Great where um, someone offered him water, but they didn't offer the rest of his soldiers, obviously. And Alexander the Great said, well, I'm not going to drink that um, if all of my men can't. So basically leading as one of the men, not getting special privileges. Yeah. So being a leader there. And you see, um, whenever it was time uh, to fight, um, Teddy Roosevelt led the Rough Riders. Um, he didn't just sit back and just say, okay, you guys go in and fight and I'm going to handle it from here. No, he was right there you know, with them. And so one thing that I like about Theodore Roosevelt, um, and if you listeners would like to read more about this and you don't want to jump headfirst into The Rise of Theodore Roosevelt, which is a pretty hefty book, I think around 800 to 1,000 pages. Um, it's a stout a book. book. Called, <laughs> it really is. Um, <laughs> is a book by uh, David McCullough, uh, who's a fantastic writer and very accessible. Um, but he wrote a book called Mornings on Horseback, which are basically about the Roosevelt's life and their day-to-day life. And um, it really brings up that Theodore was born with severe asthma, like really bad, to the point to where his doctor was like, you need to be in bed, don't get up, don't go about doing strenuous things. I mean, literally, don't do strenuous things. And we're talking about the speech, the strenuous life. Um, He did not take that advice. (laughs) No, he didn't. Uh, to, To the degree that he... In a, in a sense, healed himself because he went out and he fought it. Um, did the stuff he, you know, they're like, you need to take it easy. He's like, well, I'm going to go climb a mountain. Um, and that's what he did. Um, and just an amazing story of how when you think about the life of Theodore Roosevelt, you never think sickly child, but he was a very sickly child. And the fact that he took that difficulty that suffering something that i think i mean i have a headache and i'm like uh see you guys later i'm going to bed (laughs) (laughs) i mean that's that's it's very convicting for me um because he overcame that with basically saying uh i would rather my life be short-lived and fully lived rather than live a long life where I'm stuck in bed. Yeah. Um, and just accomplished so many things. Um, and really is, um, does embody that quintessential manly, I guess, earthly manly qualities. Um, and so those of us as Christians who were searching the stout life, I think that there's a lot that we can learn from the way that he thought and the way that he overcame things again. Just because we read someone or we look up to someone because of certain qualities doesn't mean that we agree completely with them, obviously. Um, but Teddy Roosevelt is just someone who I've always, well, not always, but um, since I've been an adult, have uh, looked up to quite a lot. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this, because I think I was unfamiliar with this 
speech. It's a great speech. You can read it, you know, in, in a single sitting. Yeah. Um, it's just really, really powerful. But I, I imagine, let me, let me ask you this. I imagine some people here, here you and I recommending they read something titled the strenuous life. Yeah. <laughs> they might think, you know, I'm all, I'm all for you know, it, partaking of the glory of God and, and so on, but strenuous <laughs> sounds, sounds awful. Yeah. So how do you, how, how do you think strenuous is an appropriate, or do you think it's an appropriate word to describe what we, what we talked about in the first half of the podcast? Do you think strenuous just has bad connotations now? Um, is is there is there something good in straining toward living this sort of life, or is that something that causes burnout and fatigue? Like how 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 do you recommend readers read something about that that is advocating for a strenuous life, especially in our current American lifestyle that's arguably too strenuous? Well. Um... I think that is a difficult question, but I think the best thing to do anytime you ask about words and definitions, it's good to go to um, the actual source, especially since this is something that Theodore Roosevelt said. So I kind of want to read the very first, I guess, bit here, which I believe is a sentence, maybe two. Um, So he opens with the strenuous life. He says, I wish to preach not the doctrine of the ignoble ease, but the doctrine of the strenuous life. The life of toil and effort, of labor and strife, to preach the highest form of success which comes not to the man who desires mere easy peace, but to the man who does not shrink from danger, from hardship, or from bitter toil, and who out of these wins the splendid ultimate triumph. So I good. Think, yeah, I think right there, before you get into the rest of it, um, he defines it not so much as just straining, but just the idea of working yeah. and not looking for the escape. Um, I will be honest. One of the reasons why this is such an important work for me is not because it resonates with me in the sense that, oh, man, this is I agree with him so much because I live my life like this. It's because I find sometimes that I do look for the easy way out. Yeah, there are some things where I will work my tail off. Um, sorry to use that cliche there. Um, sorry, (laughs) but, uh, sorry, the teacher in me comes out and I'm like, Oh, did I just say that? (laughs) But it's something that really challenges me and it wakes me up and it makes me think about the men in my life who did not look for the life of ease. And I look at my father, who's one who, who did not look for the life of ease. Um, you know, I don't like the word lazy. Because I feel like lazy is the term you use until you get to the root of the actual issue. Yeah. You know, like, oh, you're just being lazy. Uh, Well, maybe they're actually just exhausted or maybe they're rebelling against something or maybe um, psychologically they're depressed. I mean, like lazy really is kind of a catch all. Um, Are you saying it's too it's too vague of a word? It's too vague, but I think we use it because of ignorance. We don't know exactly what the issue is. And so I think laziness is a thing, but I also think that it's more than just one thing. 
So, yeah. yeah. Um, but, but the idea that he talks about a little later on, about if you are able to spend your time at ease, it's because there's been strength, um, a, there is work that's been stored up. Meaning you're taking a break because somebody else has worked yeah. and lived the strenuous life. Right. And so and, obviously. And that, yeah, the strenuous life then is is inevitable. Somebody is going to be toiling. Yeah. You know, that's good. And um, as, as Christians, we know that after the Garden of Eden, after the fall, there is going to be toil. And so this is the life that we have to live. And so because of the stain of sin, we have to work and we have to work hard. And Paul tells us that, you know, whether we eat, drink, whatever we do, do it for the glory of God. Therefore, there's there's the command there to never give anything more than your your fullest. Right. You know, what's interesting, um, though, is that, at, you know, what you were talking about earlier uh, about Adam cultivating the garden is that, uh, you know, after the fall, his work was cursed and, you know, that by the sweat of his brow that he would yeah. he would till the soil and so on. But even before the fall, God gave him work that it was yeah. it was not um, it was not the sort of toil that we think of now where it's like, like Ecclesiastes or like striving after this vain chasing yeah, of the wind, yeah. you know, like I, I rake the leaves this year and more fall down and I rake them again. <laughs> it's like that yeah. kind of toil. But Adam in the garden reminds me of this sort of language that Roosevelt's talking about where he, he, the life of toil and effort of labor and strife where, yeah. I mean, God told them to be fruitful and multiply. That's, fill fill the earth that's work but it's you know that was sinless and perfect work but it was still manly it was still adam's duty and his calling exactly to do this i think roosevelt's tapping into something that transcends sinful consequences you know we work now to make we we have to make money to make bread and you know we have Mm -hmm. that kind of work that's become part of our identity but adam had work that was part of his creation. And yeah. I think Christians, I, you know, I love thinking of the strenuous life as something that is God honoring and something that is part of our, part of our design and not just a part of our economy, you know? Absolutely. Um, and when he speaks of it, so later on, he, he directly speaks to the American nation. So the next part that he says, and I'll just read this too, it says, a life of slothful ease, a life of that peace which springs merely from lack either of desire or of power to strive after great things is as little worthy of a nation as of an individual. I ask only that what every self-respecting American demands from himself and from his sons shall be demanded of the American nation as a whole. Yeah, And so, you know, this is not a patriotic um, um, episode here where I'm just talking about America, but I'm talking about more so community. The idea of, you know, Jesus says to love your neighbor as yourself. And so no matter what society we live in, and as Americans, we get to work 
and we get to provide for our families and we get to provide for others. But if we don't work, then someone else is going to have to do it for us. Right. Well, not even for us. If we don't work, someone's going to have to do it for themselves. And as Christians, when you look at the book of Acts, they're all about living for each other. Yeah. And making sure that everyone is taken care of. And when you see those who, um, who is it? Um, um, man, I should know this because I just taught the book of Acts last year. Um, the two that basically worked, they uh, sold their stuff, but they didn't give the church everything. Oh, is and that Ananias? Ananias, yeah, and Sapphira, yeah. Um, uh, I mean, that was a big deal. You know, they were focused on themselves. And I think the strenuous life is a call um, to work not only for yourself, but to work for others. And as a Christian, we know that Paul says to not put ourselves before others. I mean, Christ says this too. But Paul explicitly, you know, says do not put or do not value your own life over someone else's. Yeah. Um, I mean, Christ obviously didn't value his own life over his people. Um, so it and, seems like, uh, it seems like the, the connection you're drawing there is that ultimately there's no such thing as a stout man that living the stout life in isolation. It seems like what Roosevelt's advocating and what you're connecting to acts is that the sort of stoutness that we're talking about, it, it tips over into the lives of others that, Absolutely, it's the sort of thing you you mentioned with Lewis. It's the kind of laughter that summons others to laughter. It's the kind of joy exactly. that summons others to joy. It's the kind of work that inspires others to work. Yes, um, and thank you for for kind of summarizing that up, um, because I find in my life sometimes it's so easy to just think about why do I have to do this? And as a teacher, I sometimes feel guilty even talking to students because it's like I push them to work hard. And then sometimes I struggle myself to work hard at certain things. And then I have to remember that I'm not working for myself. Um, and I have read so many Christian books on how to be more productive, how to do things um, so that you get more done. And every single Christian work that I've read, um, so there's a book entitled Do What's Best Next, um, and I can't remember the author right now. And there's also Tim Challey's um, Do More Better. The first several um, chapters of their books are all realized that you're not being productive for yourself. You're being productive for the glory of God and for others. And it's amazing how much more productive you can be and how much strain you can put on your own life when you realize that you're 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 doing it because of a love for others that only Christ can give you. Yeah. Um, and who was it? I saw this quote the other day. Maybe Spurgeon, maybe Martin Lord Jones. I can't remember which. But basically the idea of, um, you know, if you want to shy away from sacrifice and persecution, um, don't do that because why do you think that you would suffer any less than your Lord, than your master? Yeah. And so I don't mean that you should 
run towards this life of pain just for the sake of pain because you feel like that's what you're supposed to do. That's not what the stout life is about. But the stout life should be one of productivity working and not seeking for the easy way out, not looking for the easy life. We shouldn't be looking towards retirement just so that we can sit around and do nothing. But we should be looking on what can I do to, number one, glorify God, number two, to serve others, and number three, to just get as much out of this life, to enjoy every bit of life, um, no matter what the cost is, because this is what I'm on this earth to do. So no matter what my job is, no matter what my my work is, if it's as a student doing schoolwork, um, my grades don't just reflect me. Um, or my, my work doesn't just reflect me, but it reflects Christ. It reflects um, uh, what I'm going to be doing in the future, um, how I raise my son now, how I treat my wife now, very much um, becomes uh, how my family interacts together in the future, or how my wife thinks about herself, or how she you know, values her own life, and how my son views the world is it's so important the little things that i do daily right um and you know what there are some days where my son wakes up at 5 45 and i'm like kid what are you thinking you woke up at eight o'clock yesterday but to him he's not thinking oh i want to get up early that's he's nine months old and yeah. you know what mommy um, god has blessed me with that opportunity to be the man the father in his life and um right. i better not take it for granted i better wake up no matter how hard it is to get out of bed that's so good there's a um i, I want to kind of take that thought and connect it to a different portion of roosevelt's um yeah. speech but it's it's related though because um so much of what we have now, even in Roosevelt's time, but especially now, is the option not to live the strenuous life. You know, that we, I'll just keep it focused on today. You and I have every opportunity to enjoy leisure um, in this oh, yeah. sort of unprecedented amount. And so, you know, there, there were generations where the strenuous life was just called life. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. you, you woke up with the sun and you worked and you ate what you grew and then you went to bed with the sun. Read any Stone no... Beck novel and you'll absolutely feel that. <laughs> I, there's, did you say Steinbeck? Yeah, yeah. Dude, okay, at some point, we might need to do a series of episodes on the Grapes of Wrath because that book just blew my mind with sort of what, what people in desperation can be driven to do. But yeah. we're, but we're talking about Roosevelt. But anyway, there's this passage There's this passage in his speech where he's talking about leisure. And I just want to read it, um, just a portion of it. Yeah. Um, he says, if you are rich and are worth your salt, you will teach your sons that though they may have leisure, it is not to be spent in idleness. And then this is the point I want to focus on. He says, for wisely used leisure merely means that those who possess it, being free from the necessity of working for their livelihood, are all the more bound to carry on some kind of non-remunerative work. And he gives some examples. Yeah. So basically his thought there is that if, if you happen to have the privilege and the blessing of leisure, 
all that means is that you are more bound to carry on a different kind of work. Um, yeah. Yeah. I thought that's so, that's so good where the, the time, and you mentioned this too, about like leaning into daydreaming about your retirement and stuff like that. Like, what am I going to do with just an abundance of leisure? Yeah. I think that's often the trick for us is that we can think the leisure time is me time. This is time for me to just completely collapse into myself and just yeah. be entertained to death or just tr- chase mm-hmm. a series of amusements. But Roosevelt says, if you have leisure, all that means is that you are more obligated, <laughs> not less. Yeah. We're like, if you don't have leisure time, you're obligated to do the work you have to, to survive. You know, but if you have leisure, you're more obligated to do other kinds of work, to, to write, to read, to explore, to create, to paint. Um, I mentioned painting because I want you to be able to bring up what you did with some leisure time a couple of days ago. <laughs> it's pretty mm-hmm. awesome. Um, but what are your what are your thoughts on that? Like, is that a con- is that a conviction, especially for us now that that our leisure time is being squandered against what Roosevelt would say the the Stoutman ought to do with his leisure? Yeah, no, I I think um, as teachers. And I'll say this from my personal life, um, because I think the whole time that you've been a teacher, maybe minus the first couple of years, you've been a father, right? Um, Um, Yeah, Julie was born my first year of teaching. Yeah. Um, For me, I wasn't married, nor did I have any kids for my first, I think, three years of teaching. So summers were pretty much for me, almost, well, not even almost, they were absolutely a very selfish time um, where I would... I would really just enjoy that time. Yeah. Um, and by enjoy, I mean selfishly enjoy just a freedom. Like indulge. Um, yes, absolutely. Um, you know, dive into your hobbies. Um, do whatever you want because you don't have to work. I mean, I still worked a, a part-time job, but it was a, you know, clock in, clock out. I, I don't have to think about it. And I know this summer, my wife has even commented um man, there's like, there's something always going on with school. You always have schoolwork. And that's a good and bad thing because the good is that, well, that means I've grown. That means that I've taken my job a lot more seriously than I did when I first started because I see the importance of, of where I've been placed. But then the bad thing is, well, let me make sure I'm not just focused on my work and I'm actually taking care of my family and spending time. Um, and I think COVID, um, this whole, um, you know, no matter when you're listening to this, um, we're still in that, um, you know, isolation time, um, throughout America, uh, where I think, you know, people aren't going out as much. And so they're doing more at home and they're probably finding that they do have a little more free time. And something that I've learned from my school is, you know, are you redeeming your time? Are you using your time wisely? Um, you know, uh, there's this idea of the memento mori. Um, the uh, you see in a lot of um, works throughout history, there's always a skull placed on desk, right? And um, I read this and really learned about this from Dr. Albert Moeller's uh, book, The Conviction to Lead, uh, where those are always there because people would have this 
this this memory of death, that death is going to happen to us. Unless Christ comes back and then the work's finished anyway. But um, at least the work that we're in now. Um, The idea that we don't know when our time's up and what we do is supposed to be for the Lord. And you know, I struggled with a lot of anxiety and depression a couple of years ago, and I still have a little bit of the anxiety there, you know, every now and again, but it's nowhere near as bad. But in those moments of anxiety where I thought that I was dying, you better believe that I was really questioning what I had done with my time. When things are good, um, I'm very selfish. When things get difficult, when there's struggles involved, when there's fear that life is coming to a close, and by fear, I mean, you know, there's, I'm being honest here. Um, there was fear of death. And I think the fear was not what was going to happen after death, but the fear of what have I done before death? Yeah. Do I really want to leave this world um, having completed, um, you know, Call of Duty? You know, do I really want to leave this world with a legacy of, you know what, I have, um, I have a good collection of such and such. And I have to remind myself because my emotions tell me to to feed those appetites. And um, Augustine was very much about logic and not following your feelings and emotions. Um, And although I think he took it to the extreme, I think that we should still view life in that light of, of praying through our emotions, praying through what we feel because our feelings will lead us astray because we are um, depraved individuals our lives our feelings are stained by sin we're very selfish um and so what is our time really being used for and so that's good that's something that that i've been convicted of um in the past couple of years that's good we probably need to land the plane you think oh yeah yeah um, do, do you have, uh, let me ask you this and then we'll, and then we'll close the podcast out. Do you have any, we, we mentioned some, some different books, Marco's biography of Roosevelt. Do you have recommended reading or recommended anything for our listeners before we sign off? Um, maybe I've said a lot of books and so I recommend all of those. Um, there's not one of those that I don't recommend. Um, at this what was point. the older one again? Huh? Oh, that was, um, uh, it's called the conviction to lead. It's a great book on just on leadership and, and what it means to really lead. And, oh man, it's such a good book and a very easy read. Um, I'd say I'd like to leave with the idea of, of just look at your life. Um, and really evaluate your time and what you're doing. Um, you know, journaling is something that I'm trying to get more into, um, so that I can really look at an honest look at my life and not just look at what I believe my life to be, but what it really is, um, have the courage. And, um, I say courage because it's a scary thing to ask those closest to you. Um, how do you view me? How do you view my work ethic? How do you view how I live my young life? Um, and you have to ask people who really love you because you want them to be honest. Um, and it's a scary thing. 
But if they are brothers or sisters in Christ, they're going to be honest, hopefully. Um, and I am very blessed to have some very honest people um, in leadership as well as family and friends who um, who don't shy away. They tell me exactly, and that's how I'm able to grow. So um, how about you? Anything that you would like to share or recommend bef- before well, we end? I know we're close to ending, so I'll just I'll just say this. If you want, as soon as you finish listening to this, go read the poem When Death Comes by Mary Oliver. Because what you the the note you ended on reminded me so much of her poem. Uh, so open up a tab on your phone or on the computer and type in When Death Comes by Mary Oliver. It's a beautiful poem. Excellent. Well, Matt, thank you. This has been um, great as always chatting, you know, with you. Um, and um, just to kind of put a plug in for our next one, if I, if I'm not mistaken, we're going to be looking at um, for the second part, um, Flannery O'Connor's Revelation. Yes, Flannery Short O'Connor. Story, uh, that is um, definitely in the collection. Everything that uh, rises. Um, oh, crud! I can't think of the name. Everything that rises must converge. Yeah, that short story collection. So check that out, um, read it, and we will be spending the next two podcasts talking about that. Um, but yeah, thank you so much, Matt. This has been great. It's been awesome, man. See you next time. All right, see you, man. <laughs>